So I ask you to grab a Bible, grab yours, or grab one in the seats provided um, for you, and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So please turn there, and we're going to be looking today at verses 11 through 16. And as you find your way, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. This is what the Apostle Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people um, that make up Village Bible Church. And for those that are on the camping trip, Lord, we pray that you would give them a good time together this morning as they also look at this same passage of Scripture. Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to do the work um, this morning, that um, that you would take my words and um, put them into people's hearts, that they would... Um, encourage and uplift and convict and Lord I pray that, that whatever the work you're going to do that you would do it um, powerfully through the preaching of your word this morning and God as we just take some time to eat together and, and fellowship Lord I pray that you would help us to be intentional about who we sit with that no one would be left out and that we would have good conversations around the tables uh, in just under an hour and Lord I pray even now for the children who are being taught from your word um, that you would help our kids to know the truth, not just from Sunday school, um, but from us as well. And Lord, I pray that we would all take the responsibility to raise up um, the coming generations to serve you and to know what you have done in the past, what you've done in our lives, and what you will do in their lives. So this morning, God, we pray for your blessing on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's uh, something I'm learning in these early years of being a pastor is that there's kind of the uh, hallmark schedule for churches, right? So um, you've got some churches are liturgical and they celebrate Pentecost and they celebrate the feasts and you've got other churches that celebrate very religiously Mother's Day and Father's Day and Grandparents' Day and all these things that they get covered. And I, Ron and I, every year when some of those things come around, it's like, okay, what do I, what do I preach on for Mother's Day this time? <laughs> what do I preach on for Father's Day? I've said the same thing the last five years. Um, and I feel similarly this morning a little bit because we've got a, almost a repeat of last week's um, passage uh, and we've got um, something that we've heard over and over again. And I feel that some weeks is the people know this. We know this. Um, and yet I'm reminded um, this week um, that we need to be reminded um, of what the truth is and what the Lord has for us. So I would um, implore you to to pay attention and to um, follow me in this passage as we learn what God has for us. Uh, I've entitled um, the sermon Paul's Pastoral Imperatives. And I know it's easy, just like it's easy on Mother's Day, if you're not a mother, to tune out. Or if it's Father's Day and you're not fathered, to tune out. Um, but this passage is not just for pastors, but it is primarily for Timothy. Um, the pastor, and then it becomes very easy to um, to come across an application to pastors. And so I don't want to 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 preach this message today saying this is all about me and Pastor Ron and the elders. Um, it is primarily first to pastors and leaders, but there is um, plenty for us to feast upon in this passage today. So I would ask you just as we as we dive into to one, you know, hold hold us, hold your pastors and elders accountable to these things. We're called to do these things. Um, so help us do these things. And second, recognize the principles in this passage that are very applicable for your life. 
um, that will invade your life on various levels, whether you're um, at your job, whether you're a parent, whether you're a ministry leader here, or you serve at a ministry outside the church, with your friends, as a student. Um, in all these ways, there are, there are very important principles for all of us in this passage this morning. So I want to make sure that we see that. Reminder, we're in the book of First Timothy. We're past the halfway point. Um, we're coming to the close of First Timothy, and we'll be diving into Second Timothy as we finish. But Paul has been talking to Timothy specifically in these last few passages about dealing with the false teachers at the church of Ephesus. Um, Paul had promised the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 that when he left, um, that there would be false teachers that would come up from among them. And, and so we see in 1 Timothy that that word from Paul is coming true. And so Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus to correct these false teachers, to encourage um, the church, and to um, fix things in one sense, and to get things prepared for Paul, who was hoping to come to Ephesus himself, but had not yet been able to. And so that's where we stand. Last week, um, we talked about the training. Um, Ron had the... Uh, exercise machine up here. I don't know how many of you were hoping he'd get on it, but I was. That didn't work out. But he was talking about training and about um, how we train ourselves in the scriptures because Paul points Timothy to the scriptures and away from irreverent, silly myths. And this week he says some things that are are very similar. And and in fact, you sense some urgency in this passage that Paul cares for Timothy. It's a very personal passage. um, And he wants to get these things across. And what he's going to do is he's going to give a positive way um, what he should do in order to refute the false teachers. Um, so rather than a negative way, which needs to be used to say, no, you're wrong, this is what the Bible teaches, in a lot of ways, this passage is positive. Do this, um, and this is not what the false teachers are doing. This is not what they're teaching. So you do this and be a positive example of that. Uh, Donald Guthrie is a, is a Bible scholar, and he said this, the best refutation of error is a positive presentation of the truth as a principle which the church in every age constantly needs to learn. That the best refutation of error is a positive presentation of the truth. So that's what we're going to do this morning as we look at Paul's pastoral imperatives. Um, Every verse is a point. Um, There's so many things that Paul says here. So the points in your notes will correspond to the verses. So let's look at verse 11. Very uh, short verse in English. It's five words. And point number one is the pastor communicates authoritatively. The pastor communicates authoritatively. We see this, this authority in the words that Paul uses to Timothy. Take a look at verse 11. Command and teach these things. That word for command is a strong term. Um, it is an imperative. Um, it means to more than just teach. It means to say something that has the sense of you must do this. You must do this. And so the command to Timothy is to command. And so the imperative from Paul is, Timothy, you need to command these people. And so some scholars thought that command might stand for what he's telling the false teachers and teach might be what he's going to teach the believers. Um, that, that may be the case, but whatever the case is here is Paul is giving Timothy, in some sense, the authority to authoritatively speak to people as their pastor. Um, and, and something that's, that's very interesting here is, though this is a letter to Timothy, it's, it's not the letter to the Ephesians or the letter to the Galatians, yet I, I still believe that the church probably would have heard this letter read in front of them all. And there's several um, ways we know that. Um, at the end of the book, um, if you can just turn the page, look at it, the last word from Paul to Timothy in First Timothy is grace be with you. Um, now in English, we can't see, but that's plural. So that's grace be with y'all. <laughs> um, that is grace be with the church. And so from other indications, that being one of them, this was probably read out loud. And so you can imagine Timothy reading this letter and saying, okay, Paul's telling me to command. But then you can also imagine if this letter were read in front of the whole church, what that would say to the false teachers in the church, as well as to the the people. And that it would say, Paul, who planted this church, 
who spent three years in Ephesus, who's our spiritual father, is saying to Timothy, this younger man, to command and to teach these things. And so the pastor authoritatively commands from nothing less than the word of God. So I love it when the Bible is super clear on things because I can feel very confident to command you as, a, as the church to do things when the Bible says it. Um, and, and as a congregation, we need to be on our guard like the Bereans to go and test in the scriptures what is being taught and to test and see what the pastor or the preacher has to say. Richard Baxter was a Puritan in England and he said regarding this passage with the two terms command and teach, he said, the preacher ought to screw the truth into men's minds. And so that, that it's, this is this slow turning of truth into people's minds. And then it, it is done in a way that gets it in. And so command has this sense of authority, of you must do this. And the word for teach is used all throughout First and Second Timothy, and it means to teach. And so it's to teach scripture to um, the people in the congregation, to teach them what God has to say about certain things. And of course, we've already seen this um, in Paul's instructions to Timothy, but he reminds him of this as well. And you might remember back in chapter 3, when Paul gives the qualifications for overseers or elders, that one of the things that separates the list of elders and the list of deacons is the ability to teach. And so the, the overseers, the elders, the pastors, they must be able to teach. Maybe not um, in all the same way in a public setting, but they need to be able to teach and command these things because God has given um, the elders to the church to govern and to rule and to teach and to lead. So the pastor communicates authoritatively. However, that does not just apply to the pastor, because there are multiple ways in all of our lives that we're to give commands or that we're to give teaching. Um, the easiest way is to talk to, to parents, but not everyone in this room is a parent. And so that can be something easily say, oh, well, that's not for me. But we're all called to teach. Um, if you look throughout uh, the New Testament, that the teaching of the church is primarily the role of the elders and the role of those who've been gifted to teach, but also um, the raising up of children and the raising up of those in the faith via discipleship happens by teaching. And it must happen from the various believers throughout the church. And so there are different ways that all of us teach. Um, there are different ways that we do that and different ways that we're called to do that and different seasons of doing that. But when you volunteer to work at Awana, when you volunteer to work for VBS, um, when you sign up to help with our kids, um, when you go to a community group, when you do these things, there's an aspect of teaching that should be coming from the leaders, and, but also from everyone involved. And where we're learning from each other and we're teaching. And so this, of course, primarily uh, applies to the pastor, but it also filters down to the rest of us. It also holds a high standard um, that the congregation should hold the pastor to. All right, point number two, the pastor is an example. The pastor is an example. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And this is a very important verse, and I think it's super important that 12 follows 11. Because in 11, we have command and teach. And a lot of times we bristle. You can't command me what to do. Don't, com don't tell me what to do. Uh, our kids would say, you're not the boss of me. But it's very important that verse 12 follows alongside 11 because 11 gives Timothy the authority to command and teach these things. But verse 12 tells him that he's also got to set an example. So it is not authority that is just carte blanche. He can just give it and it doesn't matter what else he does or how he lives. And so the authority delegated and given in verse 11 is also moderated and controlled by verse 12. So when we look at the pastor's example, I've got a few words there in your notes for you to look at. And the first one is despise. Um, other versions say look down on. Um, that's a very good translation as well. Um, this word is used uh, throughout the New Testament in different places. Uh, but I think the, the place that would help us the most is just to skip your eye down the page or turn the page to 1 Timothy 6 um, and look at verse 2. 6, 2. 
those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. That, that same word for despise is the word you get there for disrespectful. Um, you can also turn another page or two over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. And Paul tells another pastor, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Very similar to verse 11 in our text. And then he says, let no one disregard you. Um, so same word um, that is in the Greek. Despising. And so I want to take a look um, at that word. It's also, by the way, the word that, that is used of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And when he despised the shame. Um, we see that, that Jesus looks towards the cross and despises the shame. So it can mean hatred. It can mean disgust. And it can also can mean to look down upon. And so probably the look down upon um, part of the word is what we're looking at here. And so it's interesting to see how we interpret this. Because I think often young people, myself included, only like the first half of the verse. <laughs> right? So they go, let no one despise you for your youth. Yeah, don't despise me because I'm young. We, li- we like that part of the verse. Um, you just don't, don't look down on me because I'm young. And, and actually, um, one scholar said this. He said, it's a perennial problem. Older people have always found it difficult to accept young people as responsible adults in their own right, let alone as leaders. And young people are understandably irritated when their elders keep reminding them of their immaturity and inexperience and treat them with contempt. How then should young Christian leaders react in this situation so that their youth is not despised and their ministry is not rejected? Not by boastful, assertive, or aggressive behavior, not by throwing their weight around about and trying to impose their will. And so a word to the younger people in the room is that this is certainly um, applicable to us as young people, but there's, a, there's more to the verse. <laughs> there's more to the verse. So this, this word is to the church not to despise Timothy for his youth. And so you have to think, Paul planted the church in Ephesus. He spent more time in the church of Ephesus than he did any other church other than maybe Antioch. And he planted this church. He stayed there. He invested in these people. He raised up leaders. And in the time he's in Ephesus, the whole province of Asia is reached with the gospel, which implies that Paul's raising up leaders and missionaries who are going about and doing the same thing, planting churches, perhaps the one in Colossae, around the area. So Paul spent so much time here. And now there's this young whippersnapper in town to take care of business. And so one thing I think is also true here is that Timothy, and if you read the book of Titus, they're probably both in the shadow of the great apostle Paul. And so the church that was planted by Paul can say, Paul planted us. as eh, Timothy guy, whatever. I didn't like that last sermon. Uh, I don't really need to obey him or listen to him. And I think that's important for us to see the historical situation here that Timothy is a young man. Now the word for youth here can basically be anybody under 40. Okay? Which makes some people in their 30s here this morning feel better about themselves. But this, this, he basically could have been from his late 20s into his late 30s. Somewhere in this range. We're not sure. We're never told exactly how old Timothy is. But in Greek culture, you really didn't attain to full respectable manhood until you were 40. And so this may be also another reason for them to look down on him. But you'll see as you move to the second half of the verse, let no one despise you for your youth, there's a word there, but. But, and that's really important. It, it, could, it could also be rather. If you have a New American Standard Bible, your, your Bible says rather. Um, it also could be in the sense of by, where you say, let no one despise you for your youth by setting the believers an example. So the two halves of this verse are connected. So it's not just a command, because here's, here's the issue. Let no one despise you for a youth. How do you let no one despise you for a youth? Right? Well, if Joe despises me for my youth, and the Bible says, let no one, well, I'm not going to let him. I'm going to go, you despise me for my youth, Joe. I can't, I, I don't want to take, and by the way, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. Is, that. is that what's going on here? No, I think the second half of the verse shows how you let no one despise you for your youth. So again, this is a word to the older people in this church. Don't despise the young people. Don't look down on them just because they're young. But it's also a word to the young people. Don't give the older people an opportunity to look down on you because of your youth. Right? 
So this is, this is both and. We're, we're, we're talking to, to all ages in the church. So look at the second half. But set the believers an example. And it could almost be let no one despise you for youth by setting an example. Uh, they weren't to look down on Timothy. He was actually to give them an example to look up to. And so one of the ways that you don't let anyone look down on you is don't make it available for them. Live in such a way that you're an example and so they do look up to you. And that's a, that's a really good reminder for me um, and for us this morning, uh, those of us that are younger. The word for example here is tupos. It's the word type um, in English where we get type. You're a type of this. Um, and so the, the word is, is more than just set an example. Oh, hey, look, there's Timothy. I should be like him. It's almost like Timothy is, is a mold. And he's supposed to be rolled onto other things so that the mold goes into other people. So that people should live in the same mold as Timothy. So it is more than just I'm going to set an example. It's a little bit more forceful of he's to be setting a, a positive active example by getting into people's lives not just standing up on a pillar saying be like me so timothy's to set an example to be an example here um, paul says this throughout uh, his letters he has no problem saying to other people hey be like me imitate me as i imitate christ um, that, that's something that we find really hard and when paul says it we go okay well paul paul said it I, that's paul I, I can't do i can't say that but we ought to be imitatable. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. We, we ought to be those who people want to imitate, who, who can't help but imitate because we rub off on them. So a great verse to go f- to for this is Philippians chapter 3. So I w- I'd like you to turn there. Go back just a few books in your Bible. Um, Philippians chapter 3. For me, it's only like 11 pages, so this is not, far, not a far turn. Philippians chapter 3, a good word for us as we think about what it means to set an example. Philippians three seventeen. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So this verse gives us a generational thing. And by the way, brothers does not just include the men. Okay, brothers in... in Greek would be just like saying ninos in Spanish. If you're saying it in a proper context, it means boys and girls. Okay, so same thing here. Brethren, okay, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And then he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul and his missionary band um, set an example. And then others in the churches at Philippi and Ephesus began to look and act and speak like Paul And so then the brothers in the churches were to look at those brothers and as an example and to imitate them. And so this, in one sense, does place a great burden on us, does it not? Don't you feel burdened sometimes to be an example for everybody else in the church? Um, That's a good burden to bear. Um, It is not a good thing to run away from. It's also, though, not a call to perfection. Um, it's not a call to perfection. It's a call to imitate Paul. The same Paul who said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death. The same Paul that had no problem talking about his sinful past. But what Paul majored on was that God had saved him from his sinful past and that God would forgive him from his current sins. And so the call to imitation, the call to set an example is not a call to perfection. It's not a call to perfection. The bar is high, But that's why we have forgiveness. Because when we fail to reach that bar, we need forgiveness to start over again. There are other places you can look um, in the scriptures. Hebrews 13, 7 says to look to the leaders in the church and find what they do and take their example and practice it. But in the second half of this verse, Timothy does not just leave it vague. Set an example. Okay, that's great. Thank you. How do I do that? Well, he gives five different areas in which to do that. And there have been different ways that scholars have kind of divided these up. But um, the first one is speech. Now, this could be, this could be set an example in the way that you preach, Timothy, in the way that you teach publicly. But I don't think we have to leave it there. We can just say in speech in general, and Timothy's speech would include the way he spoke and when he taught the congregation. So he's supposed to set an example in the way that he speaks. And I think that, that we should learn from this 
um, that we've got to we've got to look at the rest of Scripture and see what it has to say. And the Bible is not silent on what our speech should look like. It's not silent on what our tongue does. Um, the proverb says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you believe that? That's that's a strong, strong statement. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. So be careful with your speech. Set patterns and examples in your speech for others to follow. Conduct is a general word for life. In fact, I think some of the versions say life here. Um, but the conduct is just how you live your life. So speech is a little more specific to what comes out of your mouth. Conduct is the way that you act. The general patterns of your life. So this would include um, finances. This would include being an example for us in the way that we drive. In the way that we take care of um, the things that God has given us. Like our homes. Um, this would be a, a general life kind of thing that he's supposed to set an example in. And we'll see a little bit later how Paul zeroes in on that. And then he moves to, to three things that are very common to the New Testament. He says love. In love. And this would be very easy to just kind of gloss over and say love, yay, be an example in love. But remember what Timothy's been called to do. He's been called from another place, he's not from Ephesus, to come to this established church where it seems that the elders are teaching false teaching and he's supposed to correct it. Now, how often do we get off of the love train when controversy comes up? Right? How easy is it to abandon love when we have difficult things we have to say to one another? It's very easy to do that. And so Timothy is called to be an example in love in a church that is, that is teaching heresy, in a church that in some senses is falling apart, in a church that is being split. Timothy is called to be an example of love. And, and it's easy for us to be an example of love when everything's going nice and we feel good. And, but it's harder to be an example in love when someone hates you, when someone abuses you, when someone uses you, when someone um, offends you. And so we are, we are called, even in those circumstances, to be an example in love. Next he says, in faith. Um, by the way, this is in direct contradiction to the false teachers who Paul said had shipwrecked their faith. He said they'd shipwrecked it. And so he's to be an example in faith. It could also mean faithfulness. That he's to be an example in how faithful he is to do his task. So that others would see week in and week out, day in and day out, Timothy is faithful. Lastly, he says purity. And this has the connotation of sexual purity. Although it would include a purity of life. But um, primarily uh, sexual purity. It's the same word that's used just a few verses down. Look at 5 verse 2, which we'll talk about next week. Timothy's supposed to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. Um, and so this has the connotation of sexual purity. Does the pastor, does the leader set an example in his purity? And it used to be that we could say in his dealings with the opposite sex. But we no longer live in a world where that is the only case. This is purity of life. This is purity on a screen. This is purity in your mind. And so we are to practice sexual purity. To set up things in our life to protect us. Um, it's a very um, easy way to do this, parents, is don't let your parent, don't let your kids have access, un unfiltered access to the internet. Um, this is not to say that you don't trust them, it's to say that you understand them and you understand their weaknesses. Um, I have covenant eyes on my computers that reports what I look at on the internet to my wife. Um, now, that doesn't make me pure, that is a tool to help me to achieve purity. And so whatever ways that that looks in your life, maybe you need to get accountability. Maybe you need to get covenant eyes on your computer. Maybe you need to get some kind of filter or accountability system. Um, maybe you need to, to, to get someone in this church who you trust to hold you accountable and to help you in these things. But we are called to be examples in purity. And no doubt this, it takes on a heightened role in the pastor's life. How many people in our world are cynical about pastors because of the scan sexual scandals that we've seen on the news? Just destroyed pastors' images. And so we've got to be above reproach, so careful in our lives here. Well, there's more we can say, but we've got to move on. Number three, the pastor's work is based on the Bible. Number three, the pastor's work is based on the Bible. This is the reason that 
um, in my preaching, I've decided to read the, the entire passage that I'm going to speak on ahead of time. Um, to, to get it out in the open. This is where what I'm going to say, hopefully you get to grade me on if what I say comes from this passage. And so my, my goal in preaching is give you the, the scripture first. And then I'll expound upon it. And Lord willing, it will be in line with what I've read. So let's look a little closer at verse 13. First phrase, until I come. You'll remember if you've been uh, with us through this series that Paul had intended to come to Ephesus. And every once in a while, he, he says it throughout the book. I think as an encouragement to Timothy, but also probably as kind of as a warning and a threat to the false teachers. Like, here comes Paul, right? He sent Timothy, but he's coming too. And so Paul says, until I come, meaning I'm trying to make my way there, but what's, what, what your priority is in the meantime is this. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Uh, devote yourself is a Greek word that means to be in a state of alert, to pay close attention to. And it's also used um, in a way to, to mean to continue to stay, to pay, pay close attention to. So this is um, a continuous verb that, that he's supposed to continue to do this. Don't just do it once. Live your life like this. So always be devoting yourself. Continually be devoting yourself. And in, in the Greek, he says, the first thing is to the public reading of Scripture. Now, the, in, in the Greek, it's just reading. Well, actually, it's the reading. There's an article before it. But we can see from different places in Scripture that the reading is probably taken from the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, where there was the reading was given. In fact, if you read the New Testament, there's a few places where it says that's what happened in the synagogue. So Paul in um, Acts 13 goes to a synagogue, and after the reading... There's, a, there's an a asking for, hey, does anybody have anything to share? An exhortation, which is interesting because that's the next word. So it seems that the early Christian church borrowed from the synagogue this um, emphasis on the reading. And so many of you grew up in church where there was just a part of the service that whether or not it was related to the sermon, there was just a scripture reading. Whether it was from the Psalms or from the epistles or if it was a liturgical church, it was on a schedule as you went through the liturgy. Whatever the case, um, the public reading of Scripture is important. This is also important because in that day, not very many people were literate. So we think, well, that, that's not a big deal. Well, there's a few things here. Um, everyone in this room, or almost everyone in this room, can read outside of this place. Another thing is that books were really, really expensive. Books are at their cheapest in our day and age. Books have never been this cheap. Um, in the history of the world. And so we don't think anything of it. We also don't think anything of it because my Bible's this big. Um, if you've got to lug around a big uh, codex, that's not going to work too well. Um, and so that was part of the reason that reading the Scripture in public, in the gathering, was so important because for some, that might be the only time all week that they actually heard the words of Scripture being read. Now, they, they probably memorized Scripture a lot better and a lot more diligently than we did, so it was in their head. But to hear it read in the congregation uh, was a great blessing for them. So the reading of the Scripture is really important, and I think that's the basis for Timothy's authority that we saw back in verse 11. So he's to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. The other thing that's important there is that verb also implies that it's thought through. Ahead of time. So it's not show up at church and go, uh, Deuteronomy. It's, it's got the implication of thinking through what's going to be read on Sunday. What's going to be read? Why is it going to be read? And really preparing, which means that's why he's devoting himself. That's why he's staying alert, paying constant attention to these things. And folks, that's what we want to do at Village Bible Church. We want the heart of every service to be about the Bible. Because it's God word, God's word, not Ron's word or Andrew's word. It, it's, it's God's word, and it's at the heart of these things. It's also um, why we want to stress in our children's ministry that games are fun and good and songs are fantastic, but our children need to know the Bible. And that's going to be the priority in our children's ministry. That's going to be the priority in all ministries. Um, as much as we can make it is that the Scripture is what we devote ourselves to. Secondly, he says to exhortation. Now, if you have NIV, it says to preaching. 
So scholars love to have a debate about this. But the point is, the word is exhortation, which could mean encouragement. It could also mean kind of like an urging, like do this, which is why preaching can be used there in some cases. But it also was what usually followed in the synagogue service, the public reading. So the synagogue, there was a public reading of scripture. And then someone got up, a leader, an elder in the community, and exhorted people based on the scripture that was just read. So you can see in Old Testament Israel that if you're reading in um, the book of Leviticus and reading through a bunch of these laws, that it would be super helpful for someone to come up afterwards and exhort you after hearing all these laws. And so the Christian church again borrowed this from the synagogue. So Timothy was to devote himself to the public reading of scripture and it's almost like then to exhortation and then last to teaching. And again, just, just the same word as teach in verse 11. And this is kind of a general word for teaching. It could be done in private. It could be done in classes. It could be done in just in, in uh, everyday life in those days. But Timothy was to devote himself to this. This is one of the things that causes some of the biggest frustrations for me in, in pastoral ministry. Some of you know me. I'm not a good administrator. <laughs> Um, I've not been gifted with that. Perhaps I should pray for that more often. Um, But I get frustrated because I feel like this is my call. So sometimes things pull me away from this and I'll I'll go through a week and it gets to Friday and I'm like, oh man, what have I been doing all week? Because I want to be devoted to scripture, to the exhortation and to teaching. That's my desire. Um, One of the pastors that I... Uh, really enjoy listening to and reading his books. Mark Dever, he's the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. When he came for an interview at that church 20 years ago, he told the um, pulpit committee, he said, I'm okay with every ministry in this church failing as long as the preaching doesn't fail. He said, my primary, my primary call is to the preaching. Since so if everything else fails and the preaching continues to go well, he said, then in some ways I will measure that as success. Because so many pastors today are pulled away from preaching and from the scriptures and from the Bible. Um, It just becomes about marketing and advertising and programs. And and those are all actually helpful and good things. But the the center of the pastor's life is a devotion to scripture. And so this reminder of being devoted to the scriptures is not a drudgery. This is not a duty. This is life. Life. This is a privilege. And so the pastor, first of all, and the people ought to be devoted to the scriptures. The pastor's work is based on the Bible. just want to quote um, a, an early church father. He lived from the year 100 to 165. His name is Justin Martyr. And he described early Christian worship as this. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. (laughs) I love that part. Then when the reader has ceased, the president, pastor, verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. So from the earliest times, this has been how it's been. That God's people feast on God's word given by God's man in one place. Every Sunday. And then the church scatters and the word is still central um, in family worship, in family devotions, in personal devotions, um, in things like Awana and, and in all these different ways. The Bible must be central. Well, let's move on. Uh, number four, the pastor's work is supernatural. The pastor's work is supernatural. And this is a good reminder. Um, you have been... Perhaps you are sitting through some bad sermons. Um, And no one feels that more than the pastor. That's why the pastor has always said, don't resign on Monday. Because looking back, oh, yesterday's sermon was awful, blah, blah, blah. And it's good to remember that as much as, as we're called to put together a good sermon and to do our best to use the tools given to us, that the work is done by the word. The word does the work. Um, the Spirit does the work through His Word. And so um, it is helpful to remember the pastor's work is supernatural. God graciously gives gifts for the common good and the building up of the church. And you see in verse 14 that Timothy was reminded by Paul not to neglect the gift that he has. And he, he gives us this historical moment that um, there was a moment that Timothy was given um, the gift 
Um, and he had the elders lay their hands on him, and there was a prophecy made over him, and we'll see. We already saw some about that in the beginning of chapter 1, um, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. We'll also see it in 2 Timothy that Paul laid his hands on him as well. So the call is not to neglect the gift. The gift is for using. Um, 1 Peter 4 says, you've been given, if you've been given a gift, use it. And then continues to give, but that's important. Use it. Use the gift. Um, In 2 Timothy, Paul's going to tell Timothy to fan it into flame. Meaning, you can have a spiritual gift and it doesn't just go. It means you have to cultivate that gift that God has given to you. And same with Timothy. He was told to to not neglect the gift. To to use it in for what God had given to him. And a reminder that the gift shows that the pastor's work is supernatural. Number five, the pastor progresses by practicing. The pastor progresses by practicing. And this is in verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I love the New Living Translation here. It says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. And, and I think there, there could be a misunderstanding here. It's not that the pastor goes, man, look how good I've been doing. My, my sermons have been getting so good over the last few years. Well, everyone can see my progress. This is great. <laughs> that, that's not the point. One of the, one of the points might be that Paul makes, uh, makes it a point to show that the false teachers were progressing the wrong way. He uses the same word several times in First and Second Timothy. And so he tells Timothy, don't progress that way. Give an example and progress this way so that all may see it. He's already said to be an example. And so his progression shows an example to the people. And the word for practice there in verse 15 um, means to improve by care or, or study, that he continues to do these things. It could also mean meditate. But these things is a term that Paul uses often. In fact, he uses it in verse 11. But he's to take all these things that Paul has given and Timothy is to practice them. To practice them. And then he says, immerse yourself in them. If you have an ESV, there's a note there and you can look on the bottom of your page and it says literally be in them. And that's, that's what he says. So Paul says, these things that I'm telling you, that I'm instructing you in, be in them. And don't do, be in them. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And again, this is a, a continuous verb. Continually immerse yourself in it. Make it your practice to immerse yourself in these things. What are these things? Well, all the instructions that Paul has given up until this point. And perhaps the ones he's going to still give. So this is a good, this is good for all of us to know that, that our progress, not for our, not for our own boasting that we progress, but that our progress is noted. And that our progress is something that sets an example for other people. That our progress is encouragement to those who are already ahead of us. That our progress might be seen. And again, this is important for Timothy because he's been looked down upon because he's young. And so he is to set an example and to progress and to let everybody see it in the way that he is immersing himself in these things. It's a good reminder for us. What are you immersed in? What are you being in? What do you spend your time doing? What are you practicing? What is your practice of life? And does it adhere to the scripture? Well, let's, let's close with verse 16. Point number six, the pastor's watch. And I don't mean the one on his wrist. I don't have one on mine, but the pastor's watch. And I, the, way I, the reason I use that is because verse 16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. And, and that word for close watch is to be especially observant and watchful. So it could be used of um, a, a bodyguard or someone who's on security duty or someone who's got the job to watch out. And it's to be especially observant. So not just, I see what's going on over there, but to be observant, to, to be into it, to look and to see and to maintain and to make sure that you're doing these things. So Paul's instruction to Timothy is keep a close watch on yourself. That's the first thing he says. Keep a watch on yourself. This is important. This is self-control. This is how we make sure that we're observant of what we're doing. Often we just kind of live life and we don't know why we do what we do. And we just kind of go with things. 
Um, this is a call to evaluate. Why did I blow up at that person? Why did I get angry at that? Why am I the, to just be observant, to watch yourself, watch yourself, and then keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In, in older versions, it says the, the doctrine or doctrine. And so he's to do two things. He's to be concerned about himself and his conduct, and he's also to be concerned about the teaching, meaning the pastor immerses himself in these things so that he can be an expert on theology, but not to be an expert on theology to be an expert on theology. To be an expert on what the Bible says so that his life mirrors that and then shows an example to those he's teaching. For example, if I come up here and try to teach you about these things and I have been someone who's been worth looking down on because of my youth, because I've been ridiculous, um, that I've been childish, how easy is it for you to receive my words on this passage? And so the life and the teaching are, they, they, they cannot be separated. They cannot be separated. And so the, the life of the pastor cannot discredit his teaching. That is why when we get to chapter 5, we see that um, when an elder has something against him, it's to be told to the whole congregation because he's held to a higher standard because his teaching that he's responsible for and his life cannot be separated. Which is why it is so difficult when we talk about these sexual scandals from these pastors, why it is so difficult for them to get back into ministry. Because it's very hard for us to sit there and say, okay, I know he said he's been forgiven, but his life did not match the text before, and how do I know his life matches the text now? And so pastors and all of us have to keep a close watch on ourselves and on the teaching. And then he gives even further instruction. Persist in this. Continue. Be diligent. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, some people go, well... What does he mean? Save? How, how does that work? Well, remember, we've already ran, run into this in this book. First Timothy 2.15 said about, about the woman, about women, she will be saved through childbearing. Okay, and Pastor Ron mentioned that. If you want to hear, he spent a lot of time on that. Go back and look on the sermon on the, on the internet. You can go on our website or you can get the podcast at iTunes and see what Pastor Ron had to say there. But there's a sense in which usually when we use the word saved, we mean someone who has become a Christian by means of faith and repentance. But there are also times in the Bible when save means something a little more broad. And so the Bible uses past tense, we've been saved, present tense, we're being saved, and future tense, we will be saved. So there is definitely a sense you were saved. You were rescued from hell. But there's also a sense in which you're continually being rescued. You're continually being saved as you progress in sanctification. And so what we see here is, is this perseverance. By persisting in watching his life and teaching, but in so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's this, this kind of perseverance, this I can say I'm saved, but I'm showing I'm saved by how I live. And at the end, if I've persevered, I will have shown myself to be saved. It's when you go to the funeral and everybody knows that that guy was a believer. Right? Because to the end, they persevered. And by doing so, they, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now we know that Paul cannot mean that being, that being persistent and watchful saves people. That is the, the means by which they are rescued from Satan and darkness and transferred into Jesus' kingdom. We know that because Paul teaches against that all over the place in the New Testament. And so what we see here is that generally it means that it's going to be um, kind of this stamina, this diligence, this endurance that shows the salvation that has already been given. In fact, it'll give incontrovertible evidence that salvation has occurred. And so there is a sense in which the pastor preaches and the people respond. And Lord willing, that they're saved. And that, that could be referenced here, but the point is to persist, to be, to be one of those people that endures to the end. And that's important for all of us to remember and important that the pastor keeps a close watch on himself and the teaching. This is a good word for us. This is a good word to remember as we go out into our week because this is easy on Sunday. This is easy on Sunday. This is not easy on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so we need to be the kind of people who remember these things during the week, who take it to heart, 
who immerse ourselves in the scripture so that our lives reflect what this book teaches. So that we don't have a confusing testimony to those outside where we say we're a Christian and we can quote some Bible verses, but our life doesn't look like this book says it should look. And so what are people supposed to think about our claim to be Christians? Folks, this is a good reminder for us that we're to live the kind of life that God desires based on the authority of the scriptures. And if we remember what the Bible is, that it is a gift to us, like the Kimyal tribe, so ecstatic that they finally had a Bible. Would we be so pleased and thankful that we have God's very words to us that we might take the time to say, God, I need you. I need you. So this week, may that be what, what we say and what we practice. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll move into the uh, gym. Everyone's invited to stay for our potluck today. Um, I would just uh, encourage you to be strategic about who you sit with and the conversations that you have. And we're going to go enjoy some really good food. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word to us. Pray that it would penetrate our hearts and that we would remember um, that your word is the basis for what we do. That it is how we are given life and how we live our life. Father, I pray for this church that you would help us to keep a close watch on ourselves and on the teaching that what we teach to our kids, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our Sunday school students, to whoever, that it would be consistent and we keep a close watch on it, but that that would not be uh, detached from the way we live our life. So God, help us because we cannot do that perfectly and we will stumble and we will fall, but we acknowledge that you give forgiveness. And we acknowledge that you are greater than our sin and that your grace is greater than our sin. So Lord, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for um, giving us the spirit to help us live the kind of life that you desire. Help us to walk worthy of you this week in joy and in peace. Lord, help us to do it together. And Lord, I pray as we start the Truth Project this week that you would just help that to to challenge us and to get us thinking and to help us to think about uh, the presuppositions of our lives, the foundations of why we do what we do, and uh, help us to be better, more well-rounded Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.